Welcome to the Living Savior Sermon Webcast. We invite you to join us here for our worship service every Sunday at 10 a.m. Find out more at lsavior.org. Thank you for joining us today. I don't know about you, but it seems that the older I get, the more I notice that my expectations for big events in life have changed in reference to when I was much younger in life. I mean, it's that time of year already. Ready or not, it's December. You're probably not ready as I am. That I think makes up the majority of us. But here it is, and we're kind of thinking about all the expectations and hopes that we have for something that's coming at the end of the month. I didn't know if you knew that. And when you think about the expectations that you have now, are they the same as the expectations you had when you were a little kid? When I think of little Caleb... Looking forward to Christmas, my expectations looked like the name on that big box with my, or what was behind the wrapping paper in that box with my name on it. As you heard with the little kids this morning too, I was looking forward to the Christmas treats and being off of school in a climate where it didn't really snow all that much, having a white Christmas would have been awesome. That was more of a hope than an expectation. And then later on in in life, when I was a teenager and young adult, that, that just totally changed. Maybe taking a break from work or school, spending time with family and friends, having this crazy combination between exhaustion from all the fun and yet relaxation from random naps uh, it was a good thing. And now my expectations for Christmas are totally different than all of that. It's interesting how our expectations change. I even asked some of you this week and you echoed that. The, the things that you look forward to and the things that you might even demand of yourself and those around you are totally different now than maybe 10 years ago. Kids, maybe even when you were a younger child. And a lot of that changes with the circumstances in life, but that's not really the only reason, is it? I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, that's, that's really not the main reason why our expectations change. The main reason our expectations change and sometimes, if not oftentimes, diminish is because the older we get, the more we're used to those expectations not being met. In other words, we kind of get used to being let down. When you wanted to find relaxation, but you found yourself so exhausted from everything surrounding Christmas that you were more tired afterwards than before. When you wanted to spend time with family and friends and you felt like it was going to be one of those moments that would prepare you for nostalgia later on, but all there was was friction or tension you could cut with a knife and maybe even a fight. When you wanted to have reprieve from work, but surprise after unexpected circumstance caused you to work more and more and juggle all of the other expectations that everyone around you has of you. Oftentimes, the expectations that we make aren't met. And so, conventional wisdom would suggest that if we just expect less, then we end up getting more. There's the whole less is more concept, right? If you expect less then things will turn out better for you. You will be more happy. You will be more positive in your entire existence because you will experience less disappointment, less frustration, less fighting. So if we set the bar really low this Christmas and we expect a whole lot less, then we should really get a whole lot more, right? No. In fact, because no less than God himself today tells you and shows you exactly why you should literally be shooting for the stars in your expectations. 
See, while conventional wisdom would suggest that we should expect less so that we would be less disappointed and therefore have a happier or more blessed experience, God throws that right out the window. In fact, according to every last one of his promises, he wants you to not expect less, but to expect absolutely more of him because the promises that he has are rooted in eternity and the blessings that he has for you are divine and are huge and are greater than any of the things on your list, no matter how many times you double or triple check it. So less, my friends, certainly is more, unless, of course, more is better. And in our gospel lesson that I just read for you from Mark chapter 1, the Spirit himself shows us exactly who it is that fulfills these expectations and how we can prepare for every single one of these expectations to be met, not just at Christmas time, but for all eternity. I invite you to go ahead and have that, that lesson open, the lesson we just read, Mark chapter 1, the gospel for today. The Spirit inspired Mark to get right to the point. He, he doesn't dance around. The first words that he says, which kind of lead us to the pivotal picture that's going to be later expounded throughout his entire book, it's right in the middle, or excuse me, it's right in the beginning. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He throws down the gauntlet, so to speak, in telling us what this is all about. And, and it might be easy to just say, well, yeah, that's very biblical speak and we can kind of move on, but hold your horses and let's dig into a couple of these words so that we don't miss their meaning. He says, this is the gospel. It's very customary in the day of Mark and earlier for there to be people who would send a good message. That's really what the word gospel means originally. And they would send a good message about how a king or a Roman emperor conquered some nation or some other kingdom. And so they would send heralds who would proclaim this good message throughout the kingdom that they were victorious. And so while this word is used in a very secular sense elsewhere in Mark's day, Mark makes very clear that this gospel is altogether different. It is altogether unique and it is entirely divine. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know what that word means? The word Christ or Christos in Greek means anointed one, the one whom God promised to anoint and appoint as the savior of all. It's the same as the Old Testament word Messiah. The Hebrew is Mashiach, the, the one that God was promising all throughout the Old Testament. This is the one. This is the one you have to look forward to. And Mark is saying, this is the gospel about Jesus Christ. This is it. And just in case anyone really misunderstands who he is, he says, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Something altogether different, something so divine. You know how when you have expectations for Christmas, so much depends on who you can rely upon, right? Maybe you're like me and you have that memory where you had a Red Rider BB gun-like aspiration of something you were going to get under the tree and... Maybe your mom or dad said no because you'll shoot your eye out. Or maybe they gave a different reason for why you didn't get that or some other gift that you were really expecting, you were hoping for. You put it on your list, so to speak. Or maybe literally, but maybe you didn't get it. Maybe you can still remember that. And as we grow up, the expectations that we have of other people may not be centered in a gift, but maybe something else. Maybe it's the expectation that someone is going to come through in the clutch. Maybe somebody at work 
It's going to help you get that project done. Somebody at home who's really going to help you find peace and reprieve this season. And, and oftentimes, our expectations are only as good as the person we have, expectation, we have put those expectations upon. So much depends. Everything depends upon the person. And so if you expect less, then you're less likely to be disappointed of that person, right? But right here at the beginning of the gospel, the Spirit inspired Mark to say this is all about God's Son himself. And you don't approach him by expecting less. No, you approach him by expecting even more. And you know how much you can do that? How certain you can be in doing that? Because immediately after saying, this is the Son of God, where does he go next? Of all the things he could have said next, he points back to Isaiah. Isaiah existed 700 years before Jesus. And Isaiah's words point to somebody who is going to come and even a forerunner who is going to prepare the way for this great Messiah who is going to come. You know what Mark is saying here? The Spirit inspires Mark to say that this Son of God that you were looking for, this person in whom you were going to place all of your expectations, the grand ones, he is the one who is rooted in the message of the Old Testament. Isaiah even promised him. And Isaiah, of course, made so many allusions to and references to things like Exodus and Genesis and plenty other places earlier in the Old Testament. So what is really the truth here? This is the Son of God who was promised from the very beginning, rooted in all of Old Testament history, and is God himself. And so less is more, unless, of course, more is better, and so much depends on who can follow through. And in this case, it's God. It's God. Every single one of our expectations is contingent upon who that son is. So the question is, do we all have a proper understanding of who that son is, especially this time of year? You know, it can be really easy, not even just for Christians as we look at the non-Christian culture around us. It can be really easy for us to look at them and to say, well, they don't really understand the reason for the season and all such related phrases. But I think that one of the greatest dangers that exists is not as we look at the non-Christian culture around us, but as we look at the Christian culture around us, or as we claim it to be so. We look at our fellow believers and our church family and maybe even family and friends and so easily we forget who Jesus really is, especially at this time of year. I'll give you an example. As Christians deal with Christians, and as you and I as brothers and sisters in Christ talk with one another and interact in our world and in our daily lives, so easily we make Jesus out to be this person that we look forward to celebrating and we have a whole lot of other busyness we got to take care of first, as though that is of greater significance than remembering that Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God, every single day, regardless of if, as if it's Advent, Christmas, or any other time beyond. I'll give you another example. As you and I look at all of the preparations that are being made, and we look at who Jesus really is, and then we take those truths, and we look at our schedules, and the tasks, and the to-dos that we have set before us, how much is the Son of God Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who is rooted in the Old Testament, promised from of old and delivered to us once and is coming again, how much is that eternal and most significant concept 
webbed throughout the time slots on our calendar? Or is it often just something that we get to once a week, maybe a little bit more than that, but nothing more than that? My friends, the danger doesn't exist, I would say, mostly, in how we can criticize those that are non-Christians around us, failing to prepare for the proper reason of the season. The greatest danger that exists is how, is how we overlook the, the dangers that have been swept into the side door. We overlook who Jesus really is and why we should have expectations that literally reach for the stars. Because it's contingent upon who God is and the one whom he sent, who just so happens to be the Son of God. So less is more, and I'm not here to tell you that you should prepare less or you should cut your to-do list in half. In fact, I'm the wrong person to ask because I think one of the things that makes a season great is by doing a whole lot more. But regardless of what you do, it's immaterial. What matters is who is at the center of all that you're doing. Is it really Jesus as he describes himself to be the Son of God who came once, who comes to you through his word every time you open it, every time you pray to him, every time you contemplate the fact that he is your Savior, and the one who promises that he is going to come again, is that it? Or has Jesus become something else? But I'll tell you what, the reason why Jesus came wasn't because he was waiting for us to finally figure out who he would be. The reason he came was to save us from our failure to assent to that fact. You see that in how he came, right? This is Jesus, the Son of God, the one who was prepared. And how did Jesus come? He wasn't born as this king that you could never approach. He wasn't born as this high intellectual prophet that you would never be able to understand. He's up here and you and I are down here. He didn't come across as somebody who is so powerful that you could never, ever, ever really expect to approach him at all. No, he came as a he came as a baby born in a barn precisely so you would know that God's love for you is so great that he would descend so low to reach you. To save you and me from every, every time, every moment we fail to prepare, not just for that first Christmas, but for the, one, the time when he will come again. He came to be fully God and fully man, to take on our sins and to be perfect in our place, to be a God-sized sacrifice so you would know that when he said it's finished, it truly is. That is how great God's love is for you, that he would reach that far for you. You see God's great love and how you can have high expectations for him, not because of who you are to him, but because of who he has become for you. You see that in how lowly he is. You see that in how lowly his forerunner is too. That's that's the guy who starts speaking, right? There's this voice in the wilderness that's going to prepare the way for the Savior. And he's also the one that doesn't just point to who God is and why we can have high expectations, but how we can prepare for him. And what is this character in the desert like? Is he another one of these high-profile characters that you can't really approach? You've got to get through a couple of his bodyguards first. No, what is this guy like in the desert? John the Baptizer. He's a guy in a three-piece suit. Looks really elo eloquent. He's got a high salary. And he drives a fancy car. No, he looks like somebody who literally just rolled out from underneath the freeway because that's where he spent the night. Only probably worse, he didn't have cover. He spent the nights out in the wilderness. He wore camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And it's not like he was among all the people. He existed where? And where was he preaching his message? Out in the wilderness. Do you know what this guy would be like in our modern day? 
I mean, you know what street preachers are, right? With the cardboard sign, it says repent. Maybe they drew some fire or something. And, and when you see that person on the corner, what do you do? I know it's going to take longer to go around all three corners, but I think I'm just about willing to do it. Like, nobody wants to approach that person, right? Who's preaching doom and gloom and fire and brimstone is yelling repent and might have some crazy John the Baptist-looking attire. Now imagine if all of a sudden you're walking on the Blue Ridge Parkway in the middle of nowhere and you see somebody out there in the wilderness telling you to repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. What are you going to do? We see weird things around here, but I think that one would be towards the top of the list. This is totally weird. This guy is a kook, right? But even weirder and more profound than his appearance is this idea that everybody is kind of leaving behind their lives to go and listen to him. That's what we see in our lesson, right? The Judean wilderness and everybody in that country, they're going out to hear him. Kind of a neat picture of Advent, isn't it? You kind of leave behind the hustle and bustle and go and listen to the message that God has prepared for you that points you to your Savior. And it kind of seems like this would be an, a time for us to focus on how less is more. We need to push it all aside and do less and cut our tasks off. And, and then by doing less, then we will have much more. But that is all thrown out the window once again when you start to listen to what he said, which is, I would say, the most shocking thing, even more than the camel's hair and locusts stuck in his teeth. What was he saying? He was preaching a message a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Do you know what that means? The, the center of that concept is found in the center of those words, the, the concept of repentance. That, that word, metanoia, is really two Greek words thrown together. Meta means to change. A good illustration I've heard is when you think of a butterfly that changes its form or it morphs, it's called a metamorphosis. Well, this is to change. Metanoia means to change one's mind. Well, what kind of mind change is happening here? He says there's a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He certainly is not saying that it was up to the people to change their own mind so that by their decision and volitional capacity, they could approach God and then and only then would he accept them. That's not it at all. The, the mind change is the realization that the direction you're going is the wrong one. That's, that's actually what the Hebrew means when it talks about repentance. It means to return, literally turn around. You know you're going the wrong way and so you got to pull a 180. And that's exactly the type of message that John the Baptist was proclaiming. Because what did it lead people to do? It led them to change their mind on how they see all of life. So that they did what? They would confess their sins and they would receive free and full forgiveness. That's the type of baptism that John was proclaiming and practicing not a baptism where people, by their own effort, would approach God, but by the proclamation of the word, they would be convicted of their sins, and they would realize that they have been going the wrong way and thinking the wrong thing about their entire life. And in that word, the Holy Spirit is powerfully at work, just as he says, to change hearts and to change minds, and they would confess their sins and then receive forgiveness freely and fully. And here I would dare say, is the even greater danger, not even just about this time of year, but I would say of the entire Christian life. This idea of repentance. How many of you this morning woke up and you thought, man, I can't wait to talk to my spiritual accountability partner 
and tell them all of the sins that I have committed this week and confess every last one of them to that person. And right now you're thinking, we're supposed to have a spiritual accountability partner? Let me put it to you this way. How many of you really wish you were part of several generations ago where it was just a given that you were to go to a place where there was a pastor or a priest and you would confess all of your sins to that person? All in favor? And I'm not about to rip on you on that because I'm a human being who doesn't really want to do that either. And isn't that really the issue? Not in practice, but the heart of the issue. Think of what this idea of repentance means. It means that we would change the way we think about our whole life. The things that are so intrinsically comfortable to our nature, we would expose them for who they are. We would rip the Band-Aid off. We would pour hydrogen peroxide in the wounds, maybe some Epsom salt after that, and as painful as it would be, we would be honest about it so we can get to the infection within. And where does the infection of sin exist? Right there right there. And exposing that, why, that's really where we would want less is more, right? Because the less that you confess, the more comfortable it is, right? The less honest I am with you and maybe a close brother or sister in Christ or my wife about my sins, it's way easier, is it not? Life is such a breeze. I'm not honest about the things that I struggle with. I don't have to talk about the things that I've done wrong. I don't have to confess my sin. I don't have to show myself to be the sinful scumbag that I am. And life is easy and it's natural and you do it too. Because it's natural. And yet only according to the gospel can we really truly understand that less is more and less actually more is better. That when you take the heart that you guard from people, when you take the sins that you keep contained, when you take the guilt and the shame that exists in your heart and you actually expose it for what it is, I'm not talking about in a very awkward way, socially exposing your dirty laundry. What I am saying is when you understand what true contrition and repentance and is and, and confessing our sins, when you do that, what is, what is modern thought? You should never do that because then people will think, less of you. People will look down on you. Or even worse yet, when you have confessed your sins to the wrong person, they will take advantage of you. They will burden you, they will guilt trip you, and they will beat you up emotionally, psychologically, and worse yet, spiritually. And so it's natural for us to never go down that road. Less is really more, unless more is better. Because according to the gospel, do you know what John was really doing for people as God enabled him through his word? That as people expose their hearts more, as they confess their sins more, they actually got more in return. Do you know what they got? Forgiveness for every last one. Forgiveness. When you confess your sins, when you do not hold back before your Father in heaven, when you take that wound and you expose it for all that it is, when you're prepared to throw the hydrogen peroxide of God's law upon your sinful heart and let it sting, guess what you get? You don't get less. You don't get something worse. You get something far more. You get the blood of Jesus 
God's own son, that purifies you from all sin. That is how great God's love is for you. You see that in the last words that John says in our lesson. He says, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I is going to come, the thongs of whose sandals I'm unworthy to untie. He says, I baptize you with water, but at the very end of our lesson, what does he say? He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Do you know when that would come to pass? Jesus is spending his last moments with his disciples, and what does he promise? He promises that they are going to be anointed with and baptized with the Holy Spirit. Do you know when Jesus said that? He said that before he was going to die, so that the very next day as Jesus would be the content of the Holy Spirit's work, namely as Jesus would die and rise to give the Holy Spirit's connecting power just that, when the disciples were baptized with the Holy Spirit, they were filled with and connected to the forgiveness that Christ won for them, and they would be able to communicate that to others, just as John the Baptist did on the side of Jordan's stream. And you know when that happened? Just 50 days after Jesus' resurrection and the festival of Pentecost, the disciples were anointed from on high with the Holy Spirit, and they began to preach the wonders of God in the native languages of all of those people visiting Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, and so many others heard the wonders of God in their own tongue. And in that way, God's powerful word reached them. And what did all those people do? They confessed their sins. They repented and were forgiven. And in that way, less is not more. Because more led to something far greater. The best preparation that you can do this season is not to check off every item on your list, although that would be great if you can do that. The greatest thing you can do this season is not even cut your to-do list in half. Whatever you do, you're going to do, and don't do it. The greatest thing you can do is the simplest thing. And it seems like something so small, but it is so vast and so profound. It is simply to repent and to confess your sins, knowing that Christ came to forgive you of every single one. And the Savior who came connects you to his word, and he comes to you in it, so you would know that you're a forgiven child of God. So you would also know that the next time somebody comes into your life, maybe like a John the Baptist, and they want to talk to you about sins, less is not more. Guarding is not better. Pushing them off is not Christian. Instead, more is better, whether it's your pastor or your spouse, whether it's a trusted friend or a confidant. When that person comes into your life and they want to talk to you about sin, you can confess your sin and trust that you have forgiveness free and full, just as they do. It makes them no better. That is how we can prepare best. It's not by thinking so low of the things that we should do, by setting the bar so low so that we would be disappointed less. No, it's by asking God for something more, asking God for the eternal blessings only he can give, and just as we see in our lesson, he fully meets every last one. My prayer for you this Advent season is that starting today, if you haven't already, every single day and several times throughout each day, you would walk with this concept that more is better. Not more in the peripheral things, but more in the central things, the foundational things of what's going on in your heart. That's why Jesus came. And that's exactly why he's going to come again. 
So the sins that you struggle with will no longer be part of your reality. So you would see that the one promise that is left to be fulfilled in our eyes is his second coming. And then at that time, faith is removed and there is only sight. And then you and I can see just how small this is, this, this world, because less is just less. The promises that God has given us are far more. And more, in that way, is better. May God grant that to you all. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our sermon webcast. I'm Pastor Caleb Kerbis. To discuss today's sermon or to discover more about our ministry, visit our website at lsavior.org. Thank you again for joining us, and may God bless your day.